Hello, my name is Juan de Castro and you're listening to Making Risk Flow. Every episode, I sit down with my industry-leading guests to demystify digital risk flows, share practical knowledge, and help you use them to unlock scalability in commercial insurance. Before we dive into today's episode, I've got something really exciting to share with all of you, especially if you're in the US or New York area. Mark your calendars for the 14th of March because you don't want to miss this. Saitora, in collaboration with Instech and Google and, and a couple other partners, is bringing you an event that's already turned heads in London. And now it's your turn to experience this firsthand. Join us for the Future Underwriting Has Arrived event in New York. This event is a deep dive into how new processes, technology and culture revolutionize insurance. You can expect engaging talks, insightful panels and the opportunity to network with industry leaders. But really hurry, if London was an indication, tickets won't last long. This is your chance to be at the forefront of underwriters' future, so head over to events.sitora.com for further details and registration. All right, let's now get back into the podcast. Today's guest is Sufan Lim, SVP, Office of the CEO at Tokyo Marine Kill. In this episode, we'll talk about her transition from investment banking to insurance, about Tokyo Marine's innovation strategy, and how they coordinate these efforts across such a large and distributed organization. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Sufan, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited chatting to you about all things Tokyo Marine, and I'm sure we've got a number of topics planned to discuss, which I'm sure will be really interesting. Let's start with an overview of who you are, your role, your background, to set the scene for the rest of the chat. Sure. Thank you, Juan, for inviting me to this podcast. I'm happy to be here today. So my name is Sufan Lim. I'm a Senior Vice President at Tokyo Marine Group. I qualify as a chartered accountant. I was an investment banker for over a decade, advising global financial institutions. And I moved in-house into one of my favorite clients, Tokyo Marine, about 10 years ago. And my key area of expertise include global strategy, mergers and acquisitions, investments, operations, as well as innovation. I'm always really interested about the, these transitions from other industries into insurance. So we'll touch on that in just a second. But Tokyo Marine is one of the largest global insurers. Can you also give us an overview of the shape of the group? So Tokyo Marine is a global insurer, and we are headquartered in Japan with operations across 46 countries. We're listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange with a market cap of $54 billion, with over 40,000 employees globally. For full year 2023, the group wrote $40 billion of net premiums, and we generated net income of over $4.5 billion. Our international business, so what I call outside of Japan, contributed to over 56% of the business unit profits for full year 2023. And I think Tokyo Marine is one of these companies which is almost like a case study of what was originally, in this case, a Japanese insurer has successfully expanded globally. As you said, over half of the premium comes outside of Japan now. So I think it's a fantastic case study in that sense. And another topic that I would like to discuss with you a bit later is how do you manage such a large and complex organization? But let me go back to the introduction you mentioned at the beginning. You moved from being an investment banker 
I assume working across industries to join Tokyo Marine 10 years ago. And I'm always, always really intrigued about how people find that transition. So let's start with what are your two or three ahas or kind of things that surprised you in that transition? I think just thinking through a story that I had. So the first day I show up at work in the insurance side. So by 6 p.m., we have the cleaners in front of my office. And so I thought, okay, it's time for me to actually get out of the room. And 6 p.m. for me in the banking world is probably half day. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So I think it is also a positive takeaway in that sense, whereby what I realized is there's a lot of rebalancing that's required with regards to mindset, with regards to just how you manage stakeholders within the insurance companies versus banking. And also the culture is just very different. And just talking about culture, I'll particularly point on the pace of change, which I think like the banking sector, I've seen that definitely improving over the last few years, in particular where insurance companies are starting to embrace more digitalization, modernization, and also innovation. And for me, I guess, personally, with regards to this transition from the advisory side to being a principal in-house, especially around having to deliver on strategy and strategy execution, that is just fascinating. And then that's just probably being me, being a curious, intellectually person who actually likes to problem solve. I think it's fascinating to actually have that helicopter view on strategy, but also being able to be hands-on and immerse deeper into the day-to-day operation and aspects of running an insurance company. It's funny when you say that 6 p.m., the second half of your day started. I remember also when I was back in doing management consulting and when I had some stuff before that. And when I joined this management consulting firm at 5 p.m., we would have the team meeting to plan the second half of the day and that was a cultural shock getting into management consulting and then as you say when you leave management consulting or investment banking that is also a another shock because to some you cannot expect the rest of the team to be working at the same pace and it's totally a different culture so you joined Tokyo Marine 10 years ago I believe your early years in Tokyo Marine were still very much kind of inorganic growth, M&A focus. Is that right? Yes, that was correct. So the first five years when I joined the group, I was mainly focused on mergers and acquisitions and strategy. So as many would have known, you mentioned the case study. So Tokyo Marine actually embarked on its international expansion strategy since the 2000s. When I first joined the group, I think what really attracted me as well is the fact that at that point in time, the international business contributed to about 40% of our business unit profits. And the business mix was clearly more geared towards property. So I was excited with the fact that I was able to join a group, which I know at that time was going to go through such a transformative journey in terms of growth, in terms of business profile. And, you know, in terms of building up capabilities where we have the balance sheet to also deliver to serve our customers and our commitment to the society. So at that time, after six months of joining, we actually led a transformative acquisition for the group, and that was Houston Casualty. And that has helped us diversify further into casualty lines, which we were clearly underweight on. 
And with that, we're able to provide a more complete suite of solutions to our customers at that time. And furthermore, I think since then, we continuously look for high quality franchises, such as Pure Insurance, for example, is one where it is very specialized in services in the sort of high net worth segment. And then in emerging markets as well, we've done various distribution transactions. We've also done various bots on whereby it further solidify our, our position within the sort of domestic market itself. So I think the expansion through M&A over the last decade has clearly resulted in where we are today from the growth in our international business and also to become a global insurer where we were like compared to 10 years ago. So you mentioned Pure, which is probably one of the most respected high net worth brands and insurer kind of globally. We also look at them when we were back at Hiscox and a bit from a, what can we learn from that? Because they were actually getting things right. After such an acquisition and an integration with a global company like Tokyo Marine, what is your strategy in terms of integrating them into the broader group? Do you keep them running quite standalone? Do you integrate them deeply? So the reason why I mentioned why we tend to look at high quality franchises is the fact that it comes along with very strong management team, the sort of talent bench as well. But also we look at the segments that some of these businesses are operating in. They're very distinct. So for us, it's not like a lot of US carriers where you do an acquisition and day two, you have this 100-day integration plan where you merge them, you take out costs, you try to consolidate some of these businesses as part of the group. Well, Tokyo Marine Strategy has always been enabling and empowering the local management teams to actually run their business very autonomously. Of course, everyone reports into the Japanese government structure. We will have directors, experts coming over from Japan who actually be integrated into the business, who knows more about the running of the business and the strategy. But I think Tokyo Marine itself is actually a very respectful culture. And we do rely a lot on the local CEOs and the management teams in terms of delivering and continue to do what they're really good at. So we've talked about the kind of inorganic growth. So some of these M&A deals we've done in the last few years. When you think about the kind of the other side of potentially more organic growth, how do you drive innovation from within? How do you think about innovation at Tokyo Marine? Yeah, I would say that. I think about innovation broadly, I suppose, in two sort of main areas across the insurance value chain. And that is sort of top line and cost, literally. So from a top line perspective, is what enables that is really that driving of the product innovation. And by product, I don't just mean new products. I meant like services, distribution as well. And on the second element around cost is clearly to look at the operational transformation side of things. And that could range from your underwriting processes to data analytics to the sort of business process transformation side of things. So if I possibly I start on the top my aspect, which is like driving product innovation, as a group, we're actually pretty innovative. We always put our customer value to the core of what we do. And we cannot forget that there is that changing risk landscape. We are ultimately an insurer and we work with risk. So the changing risk landscape, we have to take into consideration what we call the future mega trends. 
And we have to think ahead in terms of ensuring some of these changing risks in order for us to continue to stay relevant to our customers. And for example, I'll just give maybe two examples. So the one is sustainability. And everyone knows that it's top of our minds with regards to investors and also it affects our day-to-day society. So to support climate transition risks, we're actually working with an EV insure tech on providing battery warranty and electric vehicles insurance. And then we also have a group company which we acquired that focuses on renewables. So we are exploring the insurance cover around the storage side of things with them. Another example that I can give you is on social responsibility. So we are working with another InsurTech, which has a science-based solution on developing, identifying raw materials and goods that comes from certain regions where historically has been forced labor and could be child labor, could be immigrants as well. So this interesting technology has also enabled us to come up with some sort of parametric trigger where when we structure our cargo insurance. And given us the strength of our balance sheet as well, where at the Token Marine Group, we also invested in quite a few of these insured techs, whether it's through direct from our balance sheet perspective or through our venture funds. And what we found success with the combination of actually deploying capacity on the balance sheet side, but also investment on the capital side as well to actually help this insured tech grow, work with us in the long term, and then therefore create that path where we can actually be relevant to our society and to meet some of these changing needs. Okay. And before we move on to the, your second category of operational transformation, so you've mentioned, for example, here, working with a couple of insure techs in battery warranty, raw materials, and building on the previous point you made about being respectful of the companies you work with and letting them somehow run standalone. But at the same time, how do you think about if there's an opportunity across the rest of the Tokyo Marine businesses to leverage some of these new products in, let's use the battery warranty one, for example. So how do you let them run independently while capturing those synergies? Yeah, so the good thing is that there's not a lot of overlap across the group companies that we acquire internationally. So therefore, each and everyone will have a sweet spot with regards to underwriting with appetite, and also, they will be specializing in a certain areas within that. So if I just take that EV company, for example, I mean, the EV insure type will be relevant to our clients, particularly in the Japanese side. And why is that? It's because we are the largest motor insurance provider in Japan domestically. But on the EV side as well, I think that's where we at Killen are able to provide that battery warranty insurance and the electric vehicle insurance, but we know another sister company who actually does specializes in the renewable space, the construction side, and therefore we will be approaching them to say, what about working with us with regards to providing capacity for some of these areas where we as Kellen may not have the appetite to actually do so. So various initiatives within the group on group collaboration around innovation And with that, I mean, we look at it not just from a lens of what we can bring to the table as a group across the different group companies with regards to the sort of underwriting risk appetite side, but also I think in terms of the investment front as well, that's where we will have the capability to actually assess some of this investment in order for us to grow with the insure tech. 
again, just building on those examples, do those investment opportunities come from a central innovation team? Do they typically come more from individual business units who identify those needs and take the lead? So is it more like centrally driven or is it more distributed? Like how do you identify this type of innovation? We do both. Let's put it that way. So we do have a sort of digital innovation team centrally. Even that said, I mean, they are dotted across the world as well. So we have representation in New York, in Tokyo, in Singapore, Silicon Valley, and so on. So clearly with that, we also have invested in with VC funds, and that brings that pipeline with regards to to some of these opportunities. Within Killen itself, we are actually central to Lloyds of London Innovation Lab. So we see quite a lot of pipelining there. But also, you know, through our own network, with regards to the London market, we are also able to source quite a significant pipeline with regards to some of these opportunities. Okay, that makes total sense. And sorry, I interrupted you. You were focusing on the first area, which was about product innovation. You then mentioned the second area being innovation in internal operations, so that kind of the way you work internally. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned before, I mean, we have grown significantly acquisitions across the group. So each company itself is different and they are sort of managed autonomously. So therefore, it wouldn't be surprising to hear that every subsidiary may be in a sort of different path with regards to their transformation journey. And they all will have different sort of operational challenges that they will prioritize. So therefore, in our world, I think there's no sort of one-size-fits-all solution with regards to how we drive operations in transformation. I think in itself, it is a complex group, but we will need to sort of balance the sort of level of governance that really drives the further complexity that we already have. And versus the sort of innovation, which generally, I believe, personally, requires significant agility. So I think as a result of that, we try to balance what is called bottoms-up innovation experiments and also the sort of cross-group initiatives that we have. So just to give you an example on the bottoms-up innovation, so two years ago, I led a project here at TMK where we started using AI to ingest data from the market, from contracts directly into our policy admin system. So we started with two lines of business as an experiment and a proof of concept. And then when that worked, that is clearly being rolled out to other lines of businesses. And the purpose of that is to clearly enable automation to help us scale as we continue to grow our top line. But also, I think many people forget as well is that data consistency piece that you get when you have less human to tap in various sort of languages that they could possibly have, even though it comes from the same source. So that has clearly helped us from a sort of downstream reporting as well with regards to data quality. Another example I can give you is on a sister company in the US who actually specializes in, I'll say, sort of short-term medical aspects of insurance. And they, they have started using AI quite significantly on the claims 
automation as well as triaging process. And that clearly helps them significantly with regards to improvements in efficiencies, especially they have to manage large volumes of, of claims. And another example we have in the Latin America's side of things is that this company in Brazil has actually successfully integrated machine learning into their pricing model. And also they're fully automated from a straight through processing with regards to underwriting to sort of claims in the motor insurance side. So this has clearly translated into good loss ratios and also good overall combined ratios on the expense side for them as the business scale. And these are all examples you mentioned. These are all bottoms up. So these different Brazil, the US, those different entities would identify a partner that they could work with and then start working with them, right? Correct. So it's really down to, as I said, because it's so hard to have a one size fit all and everyone has a different prioritization urgency or like areas that they want to target with regards to use cases where they can actually bring it up. So I think by having this experiments approach that creates value to these group companies themselves, that will help them create that success cases. And once you have the success cases, that's when I think we actually share them across the group. And that leads to my second point with regards to these cross-group initiatives. So for example, I mean, we are learning from the US company with regards to looking to potentially using AI on the claims front as well. On the emerging market side of things, our Asian business are transmitting teams to our Brazilian office to actually try to learn from them with regards to what they've done in the motor business too. So I think these are just very positive stories that we will be able to see that use case, not within specific lines of business, specific like group companies, but once people learn about it, more and more people want to learn more about it. And therefore, that breeds that cross-collaboration across geographies, across group companies with regards to some of these success cases. And I mean, Juan, you will know as well, a lot of these experiments, projects, requires dedication and requires resourcing internally. And that's where I said to balance that governance aspect, complexity versus that agility. So once you have that agility, once we have that and the success cases, when we try to crossbreed it across, say, from geography A to geography B, that's where more and more resources can be put on by the group to help with the deployment on the support side. And then that hopefully helps us as well with regards to that sort of intra-group collaboration story. Gen AI and large language models, I'm sure that is, I mean, every insurer board is talking about it. They're all thinking about how do you make progress around it? So what is your approach to testing, deploying, leveraging across the group in Gen AI? Yeah, so I think you're right. I mean, you can't forget about Gen AI, right? So we're really testing AI. So I think Gen AI is definitely there and there to disrupt the industry. So again, we've done it in a similar approaches, bottoms up and also cross collaboration approach. So I believe within each group company, like even at Kevin, we have our own internal sort of gen AI working group. And that group itself is it comprised of people across the different functions and then 
also exploring what's out there in terms of use cases for Gen AI and how is it relevant to our own business today. We ourselves at Kilin are test casing quite a few of these use cases ourselves. So we are experimenting with, with that. And at a group level, we have a coordinated Gen AI working group too, which I'm part of. And that group itself, the role of it really is also to look at where all the activities are across the group companies and whether we can actually learn from some of these use cases that each and every one is actually experimenting. I think governance, we can't forget about governance around gender AI, data privacy, and so on and so forth. So that group also helps to create that overall consistency with regards to how each and every group company is taking with regards to some of these approaches towards governance, data privacy on Gen AI usage. And on top of that, I think, don't forget as a group, we have huge purchasing powers with regards to some of what we can do with large vendors. And to that point where if we find a lot of use cases coming from, say, a particular vendor X, and I wouldn't want to name that vendor X, then therefore, I think from a group perspective, then it is reasonable to say, well, can we actually get a group deal with regards to the contract? So I think that sort of is how we're thinking about Gen AI today. But of course, I think once there's tangible successes on some of the experiments, then it could be more interesting. And you mentioned you're part of that Gen AI group initiative. Have you identified like a short list of use cases that you think are most relevant for kind of capturing business benefit from Gen AI? Yes. So we have, I'll say, a short list of use cases, but also every group company, again, will prioritize that use cases differently. So for us here, I mean, we are test casing the sort of not taking side of things, the contract side of things. We are looking into something in the underwriting space. So there are various use cases that we are looking at, whilst other group companies might be testing it in the sort of coding side, sandbox side. So I think that is where there are clearly lots of use cases. And today we go to any consultants, they will pitch you everything under the sun from how useful that will be. But to make something relevant to us, we do need to bring it in-house, have a thing as to what's best for each of these group companies ourselves. This sense with things like new technologies like Gen AI, is Tokyo Marine strategy more to be at the forefront of the innovation, like leading the pack, or is it more the conservative like strategy of saying, okay, let's be a fast follower once we understand all the use cases? And I, I don't think there's a right or wrong. And it is not a leading question, right? It's sometimes with some of these technologies, it's totally fair to say, well, we want to move fast, but we want to be cautious or not. I think we have a lot of room to probably improve on this matter. I wouldn't bucket us into whether are we made of the pack, are we sort of wants to be a fast follower per se. I think we definitely do not want to miss out on that potential opportunities. I mean, Gen AI is definitely one of these future mega trends that I mentioned before that will change the landscape in the world that we operate in. So there's no way we could be not doing anything around it, especially for such a large group like us. But I do think look, at the end, there is that importance around that growth mindset and how that affects the culture within the group and also 
age group companies, especially you know around change, around being ability to fail and to learn from failure, and actually as a group experiment and then try to see how we can move forward tangibly with some of these use cases that we think will be relevant. To browse, I say I say wrap up a question, right? We've talked a lot about innovation, how you look at innovation, different types of innovation from bottoms up, group initiatives, product innovation, process innovation. What advice would you give a startup in any of those spaces that is thinking about partnering with Tokyo Marine? Yeah, so clearly I talk a lot about our customers, our commitment to our customers and in terms of our use cases, some of these operational challenges. So I would think about it. My advice would be, we will be your customer. So therefore, think about that value proposition that you can bring to us with regards to problem solving and whether it's on the front end, the back end, throughout our value chain. And very importantly, as a, as a group, which cultural respect, culture of long term is extremely important to us. I think for us, there's always this mindset of creating a win-win long-term relationship. It shouldn't be a one-off job. It shouldn't be a one-off project. It should be something that to see how we can actually work together for a long term. So that is probably some of the thoughts I have at this stage. I'll probably also end with probably a quote from Winston Churchill, which I hope to provide some encouragement as well, where it says, Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. And it is the courage to continue that counts. So I do see this as a commitment and, you know, our commitment as well as an insurer to build that timeless endeavor to our customers. What a brilliant way, Sufano, wrapping up the episode. All I can say is thank you so much for joining me. And it's been a fascinating kind of window to look at how you're thinking about innovation strategy at Tokyo Marine. So thank you so much for joining. My pleasure, Juan. Thank you very much for the invite. Making Risk Flow is brought to you by Saitora. If you enjoy this podcast, consider subscribing to Making Risk Flow in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To find out more about Saitora, visit saitora.com. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.